Today's episode deals with mature subject matter, as well as graphic descriptions of domestic violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello everyone, and welcome back to an ongoing series of episodes that are kind of companion pieces, if you will, to the flagship program of Grappling with Canada. As with those programs, and these ones, I'm your host as usual, The Taxman. Now normally these special episodes have been episodes that are showcasing some really cool projects that people are involved with and working on in and around the Canadian professional wrestling history side of things. Uh, you can go in the back archives and hear some great conversations uh, with individuals like authors uh, Vance Nevada, Mike Richards, and Stephen Bell, as well as the guys from the Canadian Wrestling Archives, as well as some other cool episodes uh, that are kind of companions, like I said, to the Grappling with Canada flagship program. However, today is quite a departure from what we're normally doing. And I'm going to explain a little bit about why this is a special episode and not information that is going to be completely included in July's episode of Grappling with Canada. But before we get into that, once again, I'm your host as usual, The Taxman. If this is your first time to the program, welcome. You can go in the back catalog and find all of the deep dive, full-length episodes of Grappling with Canada featuring some incredible talents such as Chief Don Eagle, Billy Two Rivers, Gene Kaniski, Stu Hart, the Monster Ripper, Rhonda Singh, as well as many others in this audio feed. Speaking of which, wherever you are listening to this audio feed, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, or steal your favorite podcasts, you will find Grappling with Canada. While you are there, please remember to leave a 5-star rating and, where possible, a written review. This is especially important on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a 5-star rating and a written review, when I see it, I will make sure that I read it on the next available program of Grappling with Canada. As well, you can find all links to this and many more things such as the official t-shirt store of Grappling with Canada where there's a special on right now if you're probably listening to this program and uh, also the classic Grappling with Canada uh, logo t-shirts just want to mention as well as usual that those are the proceeds from those t-shirts are uh, being donated to charity as usual. So I wanted to kind of get all the plugs out before we kind of get into today's subject matter. Because like I said, the majority, actually, that's a complete lie. Every single special episode has been dedicated to a project not related to the current month's episode of Grappling with Canada. This one's the exception because... I'm going to be covering an individual and a topic matter that while it is tied to July's episode, I really didn't want it to end up being one of the focal points of July's episode. I think you'll understand why my reasoning of that is 
as we kind of proceed and explain a little bit of today's episode. Now, with all that being said, there is and was a content warning at the start of this episode. So, if domestic abuse, if murder, if anything like that triggers you in any way, shape, or form, feel free to sit this one out. It's not going to be for everybody. Normally, if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, like the Dino Bravo episode, like most recently with the Chief Don Eagle episode, when it's come to serious incidents that have happened, especially in the Don Eagle episode, there was two of them that were discussed. The death of Don Eagle and the death of Don Eagle's wife as well. I tried very hard to not get too deep into the weeds about what actually happened. Most of that is out of respect for the people involved, but a lot of it as well is out of respect for the families because there are families of the individuals who listen to this program. Now, why that's different today? I feel like I cannot explain some of the backstory about this individual, what happened, who was involved, and really what ended up happening after the fact, because some of that has been misreported over the years, and as, you know, many historians, and just, you know, the... It just goes without saying, right? If you hear a story, it gets passed on, the story gets bigger. Then it gets passed on, that story gets bigger. And and soon you've kind of, you've lost the plot. And now things are added to the story that are possibly not really related in any way, shape, or form to what the original story was. So today is going to be a very factual presentation of what happened with this individual, who this individual was. And I'm sure that when you hear July's episode, you'll understand where this individual fits into that person's story. So, this episode is not going to be a long one, as my usual deep dives are. To be perfectly frank, as impressive as this individual's career was, there's truthfully not a whole lot of meat on the bone. And... You know, it's hard to kind of stretch out a couple hour episode on something like this. Flip side of that is, I can't tell the story in July if I don't cover this aspect of it. And again, kind of debunk and rule out and rule in some information uh, that has been kind of uh, skipped over, bandied about, or presented without fact, without actual research behind it and has unfortunately in some circumstances been accepted as truth. So I hope that uh, in this episode today we can kind of shed some light on this person, what actually transpired, because I have court cases, court documents that I've uncovered, and uh, and we can really, you know, kind of shed some light on the after effects as well, many of which are going to be discussed in the long-form episode of our July subject matter. Now, I know that I've kind of long-windedly um, presented a case for this nameless individual, if you will. So, perhaps we should explain who this individual was exactly. 
Today we're looking at the curious case of Nanjo Singh. Now, Nanjo Singh, for many people who may not be familiar with him, uh, he was at one time a groundbreaking professional wrestler uh, working in the honestly tippy-top pro wrestling cities uh, when he was in his 20s. Unfortunately, by the time he was in his 40s, he was in jail. That's something we're going to get to a little bit later. Now, some of his backstory is shrouded in conjecture. Some aspects have it that he immigrated here from uh, Pakistan. Other sources claim that he was adopted and brought here to Canada to grow up in Calgary. But regardless of, of how he came to be here, the fact is that he ended up being raised in Calgary, Canada. He worked a variety of jobs before finding his way into the world of professional wrestling. He was powerfully built with a handsome movie star face, which you would think would have made him a babyface. However, his true calling was being a villain, and unfortunately, that translated into reality as well. As a Sikh, Nanjo Singh wore a turban, but he adopted elements of Islam such as kneeling in prayer towards Mecca as part of his pre-match rituals, and he was often called a Hindu, uh, a slur by many of the fans of the era. He drew such hatred for the fans that he was stabbed, burned, and dragged from the ring and beaten on multiple occasions. Now, something that we're going to get into a little bit later in our discussion is the fact that because of Nanjo Singh and his immense heat from the crowd, that was the reason that Maple Leaf Wrestling ended up instituting the ramp to the ring, something that you're going to hear in July's episode of Grappling with Canada. Now, Nanjo's signature hold was the Cobra Deathlock. He got over that gimmick, offering $1,000 to anybody who could escape it. And while he is rarely kind of praised as one of the city's top stars, he was for many years, in Toronto at least, and for the most part in Calgary as well. And he was unquestionably a precursor for individuals like the Sheik, like Tiger Jeet Singh, and like Great Gama Singh. Now, he never actually used any weapons in his matches, although he was quite the wild character. And he had some incredible feuds with Whipper Watson, Jim Londas, Mad Mountain Dean, Don Leo Jonathan, among many others. Now, for a little bit of backstory, I'm also going to quote directly from his uh, obituary from the Calgary Herald. He loved to work out at the gym and lift weights. Uh, he achieved many provincial championships in handball and wrestling, and in wrestling he also qualified for the British Empire Games. Exercise and fitness were an important part of his life. He was a member of Boys Town and the Calgary YMCA for many years. He was an avid fan of rodeo and football, and played for the Calgary Bronx and the Calgary St. Peter's football team. He took pride in his Calgary heritage and faithfully attended the Calgary Stampede for many years. Now, he did end up passing away in April of 2006. Uh, he ended up passing away from Alzheimer's. Now, I know you may be wondering why I would go into so much detail, maybe glorifying somebody like this, after you hear what I'm about to say. However, I feel like it, it regardless of what he ended up doing later on in life, we need the full story of who this person was, because it really is going to feed uh, quite a bit into... Again, our July's deep dive episode. Now, you heard me preface this uh, earlier on in my description of Nanjo Singh that he was a heel in the wrestling ring 
and he was certainly a heel outside of it as well. Now in the 50s, Singh ended up marrying his uh, first wife at the time. Her name was Betty, and they were settled, resettled in Philadelphia where they had opened a bar. Now in 1958 is where the story gets very dark. And again, we're going to be going into some details that some individuals may find triggering. So I apologize for that. And again, there were content warnings at the start of this for a very specific reason. Now, this clipping comes from the United Press from Philadelphia in January of 1958. Nanjo Singh, 41 years old, former professional wrestler, was held on homicide charges today in the fatal beating of his wife, Betty, 37, whose nude body was found Tuesday in the couple's apartment above a tap room that he operated in the Kensington section. Singh, who wrestled as the Hindu with the Cobra Deathlock, was charged with homicide by fist and held for hearing today. Singh, who told detectives he found his wife missing from their bedroom when he awoke Tuesday, refused to answer questions on the advice of counsel when he was charged formally on Tuesday night. Detectives said that Mrs. Singh's face was swollen greatly and that a trail of blood led from the kitchen to the bathroom where her clothes were found. Police said that she was dead about 10 hours before her body was discovered. Now, this next article comes from the Philadelphia Inquirer from Thursday, January 23rd of, again, 1958. Singh, a former professional wrestler, was charged in the fatal beating of his wife in their Kensington apartment, was held without bail for the grand jury yesterday at a hearing before the magistrate at the Montgomery Avenue's police station. The nude body of Singh's wife was found by police Tuesday on the second floor kitchen above their tavern, which the accused man operates at 3033 Kensington Avenue. She had been beaten on the head and face. The magistrate ruled that the case was made against Singh on the evidence presented by the witnesses in the hearing. Uh, detectives testified that Singh told them that he went to bed at 10.30 p.m. Monday and left his wife tending the bar downstairs. Singh told the detectives that he arose at 9 a.m. Tuesday and found his wife laying in the kitchen. The detectives added that Singh told them that he had breakfast and went downstairs at 11.30 a.m. In the tap room, he met James Horvath, a part-time bartender. They called the doctor, who, after examining the woman and finding her dead, summoned police at 12.03 p.m. Police said that Singh's underclothing was stained with blood. Turner testified that there was no indications that anyone had broken into the establishment. Singh's counsel asked for the release of his client on the grounds that he that the case had not been firmly established. However, the magistrate found that it had. So we can kind of see where I'm sure that uh, you sitting at home are kind of seeing the uh, wheels turning uh, in this case, and it kind of gets, boy, it gets worse from here. I'm going to continue. Now, this article comes from, again, the Philadelphia Inquirer. This is from uh, Wednesday, April 9th of 1958. The mother of Mrs. Betty Singh testified in quarter sessions court yesterday that Miss Singh was so badly beaten last January that she was unable to recognize her daughter when she went to the morgue to identify the body. The mother was the first witness called in the state trial of Nanjo Singh, a 260-pound former professional wrestler who was charged with the fatal beating of his wife, Betty, on January 21st in their apartment over Singh's saloon at 3033 Kensington Avenue. Speaking through an interpreter, 
uh, Mrs. Depaid, a native of Ukraine, said that her daughter's features were considerably disfigured, but that she was finally able to identify the body through a small scar on one of her wrists. Asked why, prior to her visit to the morgue, she had not seen her daughter for five years, she pointed a finger dramatically at Singh and said, he wouldn't let me see her. Then she broke down and had to be assisted from the witness stand. When she removed, resumed her testimony, she told of an occasion some seven years ago when her daughter came and stayed with her for two months, exhibiting, quote, bad bruises, that, and said that she had been the result of her being beaten by her husband. Later, the mother said there was a reconciliation. And it continues. A young bartender who had been hired only three days before Mrs. Betty Singh was beaten to death testified yesterday that her husband, Nanjo Singh, an ex-wrestler turned saloon keeper, had forced him to view the women's battered body the night before he reported her, quote, unconscious condition to the police. Testifying at Singh's murder trial before the judge and a jury of six men and six women, the bartender said that the 260-pound former wrestler, insisting that he was, quote, in trouble, sought his help, then told him to go home because apparently he had, quote, no guts. Full-color pictures of the dead woman's multiple injuries, which Singh is accused of inflicting with his fists, were shown to the jury on the screen set in the quarter sessions court. It was considered that this was the first time that evidence had been so presented in Philadelphia. The pictures fitted with the testimony of the doctor, the city's pathologist, who described the injuries in detail. Dr. Campbell said his examination also showed that there was enough alcohol in Mrs. Singh's brain to have made her drunk at the time of death. The state's star witness was James Howarth, whose home was not far from Singh's bar room at Kensington Avenue. It was the apartment upstairs at the Kensington Avenue address that Mrs. Singh was found beaten to death. Howarth heard sounds of, quote, banging upstairs the night of January 20th, First, at about 8.30 p.m., after Singh had told him that he was going to go up to the apartment to eat. Then later at 9.30, and then again at about 10.30. Horwath said that it sounded, quote, like someone was moving furniture around. About 11.30, Horwath testified, Singh came downstairs in his underclothes and stood at the end of the bar. I went over and he said, are you my friend? I'm in trouble. I think she's dead close up the bar. Horwath went on to relate how Singh offered him his hand and got the one customer out of the place, locked all the three doors, and then forced him to go upstairs. The next article that I'm going to read is regarding Singh's confession. A county detective, this again comes from the, sorry, I should say the Philadelphia Inquirer in uh, April 15th of 1958. A county detective testified in quarter sessions court yesterday that Nanjo Singh admitted that he had killed his wife Betty last January 20th. Singh is on trial before Judge Earl Chudoff and a jury of six men and six women on a charge of murder. The state contends that the former wrestler beat his wife to death. County Detective William Hippel was permitted to testify after the judge overruled an objection by the defense counsel. Before overruling the objection, the judge examined Hippel at length in the absence of the jury. According to Hippel, he and another county detective went to Singh's tap room at 3033 Kensington Avenue 
last February 7th to investigate a complaint that Singh had threatened a man who had given the police information concerning Singh's wife's death. Singh was out on bail at the time. When we got there, said Hippel, Singh was ranting and raving and acting like a madman. His eyes were glazed. He pounded on the bar with his fists. But finally he agreed to go down to City Hall with us. And on the way down I asked him, Why did you do it, Joe? To that, Singh said, How much can you take? She was drinking a fifth and a half every day. She went through $50,000 of my money. I gave her $600 to go to Florida, but I learned that she was in a hotel here with another man. I didn't mean to kill her, he said. I blacked out. Now I want to die. I want to go to the electric chair. Hippel testified that Singh told him that the clothes that he had gotten rid of were of the bloodstained clothes, both him and his wife's. The witness said that Singh admitted to lying to detectives when he told them of finding his body, or his wife's body, the next day. Now, the last article I'm going to read is the guilty verdict. Uh, Singh guilty in slaying, again from the Philadelphia Inquirer, on Thursday, April 24th of 1958. Singh, wrestler turned saloon keeper, was found guilty of second degree murder last night by a jury of six men and six women in the death of his wife, Betty, last January. He faces a possible sentence of 10 to 20 years. Sorry, the jury delivered the verdict to Judge Earl Chudoff at midnight after delivering deliberating for five hours. The delivery was marked with confusion and was followed by a demand for a new trial by his defense counsel, who contended that the judge had committed an irreversible error in regards to his charge. Queried formally by the court choir, the foreman declared that Singh had been found guilty of second-degree murder on one indictment. Asked about a second indictment carrying two lesser counts of voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter, Tarpy stood mute. Judge Chodoff explained that the jury would have to make a decision on those counts. They left, returned in 10 minutes, and declared Singh guilty of the lesser counts as well. Judge Chodoff committed Singh to county prison, pending formal motions for a new trial. Now, he ended up being sentenced to four to eight years on, in prison on Friday, November 14th of 1958. Now, Nanjo was released from prison around 1966. I don't have the exact release date from prison. However, it was early enough, and this was a time that the wrestling season was still in full force with the Tunnies in Maple or with Maple Leaf Wrestling. Now, it's interesting because here's an individual who committed and was convicted of a horrific crime, ended up serving, I believe it was eight years total, comes back to Canada. I'm assuming that he was uh, forced to come back to Canada. And lo and behold, Frank Tunney is waiting for him and immediately plugs him in to a main event series of matches with our July subject matter, something that we're going to be discussing later on in the obviously the uh, upcoming July episode in great detail. Now, it's to say it's a messy situation is quite the understatement, I would say. Now, I have heard of a rumor that was, I, I'm not sure where it came from, but I had come across it in my research that Frank Tunney had ended up 
uh, essentially going to bat Fernando to get him out of jail early, specifically to come back to Maple Leaf Wrestling to work the main event series of matches that you're going to hear about in the July episode of Grappling with Canada. However, I have found no evidence to substantiate that claim. And furthermore, it seems like it was legitimately just a coincidence. Business was down with Maple Leaf Wrestling. They were looking for, you know, a heel to really heat up the market. And, you know, as seedy as it is, and wrestling is full of seedy behavior, as uh, many of us understand and realize, they went and got out the most hated, most vilified, most basically evil villain they possibly could brought him back to feud with uh, the subject matter for July. So, again, this was uh, this was information that I really didn't want to bog down the July episode because, again, it's hard to hear. It's certainly hard to read. And uh, I want to make one other thing, I guess, completely clear is... I'm, I didn't go into this much detail because I'm trying to slander, you know, the memory of Najo Singh. Although, again, he did commit a murder. There was a woman whose life was tragically cut short at 37 years old. And that, in my opinion, is unforgivable, regardless of her, you know, alleged dealings you know with liquor and stealing money and and things of that nature you know a life was taken and we can't ignore that as as wrestling fans certainly as wrestling historians and certainly somebody like myself who's trying to paint a fair and accurate picture and a truthful more importantly picture i also did really didn't want to sensationalize what happened i could have gone on and on and on there was you know about 40 articles between uh, the Examiner, the the uh, Philadelphia Archives, and, and several others that you know we could have been here for about an hour, but I don't think that that's a, a proper way to kind of cover this either. However, it did need to be covered, and again, I didn't want it to really bog down and take away from the July episode. It should be noted as well that Nanjo Singh ended up remarrying. Uh, he had uh, several children and grandchildren of his own, and like I said, had ended up passing away in Calgary in 2006. So uh, perhaps he was able to change his life around. Uh, you would hope for that at least. And again, if any of his family end up listening to this episode, again, I'm sure that the, ep- the uh, facts as they were presented, are hard to hear. Again, it's not being explained to disparage him, but to give a fulsome uh, picture of what ended up happening. And the reason, again, that I wanted to touch on this was twofold, right? One, not to bog down next month's episode. Two, to kind of dispel, again, that rumor that I had read online that Frank Tuddy had essentially bailed him out of jail to come and, and wrestle in Toronto, which... It's one of those rumors that is so crazy it could be true, 
in the wild, wacky world of professional wrestling, and one that I was very keen to get into and uh, debunk. So I hope that I was able to accomplish that today. So, whew, now that we uh, <laughs> now that we've got into this, I think we have an uh, an excellent uh, teaser for who Nanjo came back to wrestle in uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in the mid-60s. That person, you're going to hear all about next month, July 1st, for the next episode of Grappling with Canada. Again, if you're listening to this on any major podcasting platform, uh, especially Apple Podcasts, if you can go ahead and leave a five-star rating and a written review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also find us on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast. You can email me at any time, 6sidepod at gmail.com. I read everything you guys send. You can find all the links to everything related to this show in the show notes for today's episode. It uh, includes different ways to listen to the program, different ways to help donate to the program. Uh, very important at this time of year. If you'd like to donate to the program, you get a big shout out on the next available episode, as well as links to our Instagram, instagram.com slash grappling with Canada, uh, as well our Facebook page. Use that wonderful Facebook page search option and find the Grappling with Canada page. Come on in and like that, as well as come on in and join the Canadian Professional Wrestling History Facebook group. There's been a ton of tremendous uh, information, photos, etc. been shared in there, and I'm very thankful to everybody for joining that group and uh, making it a lot of fun to go back and look at some of the stuff from the history of Canadian professional wrestling. So... For myself, the taxman, again, I know that this was a little bit of a weird um, episode. Quite the departure from what I end up uh, normally doing on the flagship program, but again, something that I really felt needed to be discussed heading into July's episode. So, once again, for myself, the taxman, I will leave you as I usually do at the end of the flagship programs. Take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll see everybody on July 1st.